The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Sunday, April 4, 2021. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting, dodo birds, and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me, and we're recording this around 7 p.m. Eastern on Easter Sunday, about 26 hours in advance of the title game of the 2021 NCAA tournament. Tip scheduled for Monday at 9.20 Eastern. It's going to be Gonzaga versus Baylor inside Lucas Oil Stadium. The winner will become a first-time national champion. Deadleg, you monitored the press conferences earlier today while I was getting sunburned, sitting on an outdoor set for three hours, CBS Sports Network. Shouts to Brenda, makeup lady, for covering my stupid bald head with sunscreen. Anything interesting come out of today's press conferences? Were you able to listen to them as you were on set or no? Some, but we didn't carry all of them in their entirety. We had snippets here and there. Did you hear Mark Few call me out on the press conference? I saw somebody, I believe our buddy Dan Wilkin at USA Today, reference it, but I didn't hear it with my own ears. I listen, I hop on these pressers just to see what they're saying, and uh, you know, I raise my hand. I, I figure I want to ask Mark Few, because I wasn't in the press conference last night going to the HQ set. I just wanted to ask Mark Few if he thought that the game turned in his favor, even if ever so slightly, with Suggs' block and then pass and transition to Timmy, because it felt like that in the building. So it comes to, it comes to me. And, you know, sometimes when you do these Zoom sessions, the host will unmute you. You will not do that yourself. So I thought that Mark Fratto, who does a wonderful job with the NCAA, former St. John's SID, really a, a man about town uh, with many different occupations around the greater New York area, uh, he's, he's hosting this again. So I thought he was going to do me a solid and just unmute me. I didn't want to do a thing where he unmuted me and then I muted myself and then it's like 10 seconds of silence. Well, it was about six seconds of silence, and then Fratto said something, and then Mark Few said, come on, Mr. Technology, let's go. And then, and then I was finally unmuted. I said, listen, I didn't want to do this whole thing where, you know, I unintentionally muted myself, and then Mark Few said, I'd mute you if I could, in front of who knows how many people. Just not necessary from the, the potential championship-winning coach a little more than 24 hours from now. As for what they said... I would say it's actually, it was fairly tame. And that's been, not to get too inside baseball here, but some of these Zoom availabilities throughout the season, be it players or coaches, like there's occasionally been, I guess, because of the way that these things have to go. Like we have occasionally gotten some pretty good moments and 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 spots where coaches have been uh, fairly revealing because they're just speaking in front of a screen. You know, there's not an audience. But I think a lot of other times at the, at the final four and in the tournament, when you've got a dais and you've got 
15 to 25 to 45 media members, you know, uh, together in a room and there's just an energy there, uh, you get a little bit more, but there wasn't too much. I mean, Mark Few basically spoke about uh, what it's meant to get to this point, talked a lot about the game and then asked about the changeover. You know, you guys played late. What's the toughest part with mentally or physically and, and all that stuff? I didn't find anything that was uh, too enlightening there. And Scott Drew was a lot more the same, but he was also asked about starting the Baylor back up when he got the job. You know, same old deal there. We did learn that Mark Few and Scott Drew have been playing pickleball together in the in the bubble there. Are you familiar with pickleball? Yes, I have heard of pickleball. And coincidentally, the first time I ever heard of pickleball was in my first phone conversation with Mark Few after the pandemic hit. We were just sort of catching up. And he said, uh, so uh, uh, you, you've been playing pickleball? And I was like, I don't, I don't know what you're asking me. And he said, he said, go, go on YouTube. You'll find it. He said, you, you, you probably got tennis courts near your home, right? I said, yeah, just not, you know, five minutes away. He said, I bet you they're already taped off for pickleball. We've been playing pickleball every day. So he's been fired. Like that was maybe about a year ago. He's been fired up about pickleball for like 12 months straight. I, I, I still, I'm embarrassed to say I've never played myself. Same. I picked, I did, I did like during the pandemic, I, Increased golf, started playing tennis with uh, my younger boys, but uh, but I never did dive into pickleball. But I know M- M- Mark's been he's been in it for about a year now. That's his that's his pandemic uh, sport of choice. Yeah, I've never done the pickleball deal, but it seems interesting. I'd love to know if actually, and they will never reveal this, but maybe a few months from now, a few years from now, are the, will Mark Few and Scott Drew? sneak out and just steal a little one-on-one pickleball game before the national championships. You know, some of these coaches uh, throughout college basketball, no matter if they're not in the same league, different parts of the country, uh, for whatever reason, some of them have, you, you know, you might be surprised to learn some of the coaches have really, really strong uh, friendships. And I, and I wonder if they might, uh, if they might st- steal in a pickleball game, but no, I have never, like, like never Rocky played. and Apollo. At yeah. the end of Rocky three. Exactly. Exactly. They just sort of get in empty, empty, empty gym. Just, just Rocky and Apollo, just getting it on, just going a few rounds to see to see what's what. You you in, you anticipate after tomorrow night's championship game, no matter who wins or loses, there's Mark and Scott back at the pickleball courts, getting in a game at two a.m. or or maybe or maybe tonight, you know, eleven a.m. Sneak out, get out of a, a film session for ten minutes. These guys are so loose, it wouldn't surprise me. They probably aren't doing it, but I couldn't help but notice. By the way, this is first time in men's college basketball title game history. Someone sent this out. I can't. I would love to credit you, but I saw it on a whim. It's the first time the names of the last coaches rhyme. Few Drew. Never had it before. God. Who Who would have thought? You You mean to tell me Bill Henderson wasn't coaching against Ronnie Renderson back That's in right. 1948? That's right. Hasn't happened. That's unfortunate. That's a missed opportunity. They should have made Adolph Rupp change his name in 1948 to Adolph Renderson, and then we'd have had Adolph Renderson against Bill Henderson for all the marbles. Yeah, what's that mean, by the way, all the marbles? Do we know I have the, no idea. Yeah, just one of those things we say. Who knows? All the marbles. I only say, I only say it when I'm trying to be goofy. For all feel, the marbles, I'm feeling a means. little goofy today. Just so you know, we were up way late. I'm so I'm, I've had I'm 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 ready. I know I know it's a weird but it's a weird Sunday. Normally the final four Sunday, that's when a lot of people get after it. Let's be real here. There's not a game until nine o'clock the next night. 
this is a weird one though. We're just we're just chilling here together. Gonna do an HQ hit, but I know you just about have a couple. Only two more days, buddy. Then we put the season behind us. I really I really do think being in your room alone, nonstop, like it takes a toll. Like it it messes with you a little bit. Like we we are not uh, like they don't have police outside our doors or anything like that. But we are um, we have been strongly advised to you stay at a restaurants, you stay at a bars, you stay out of the streets unless you're going for a walk. And what that leads to is like an entire crew of people. You know, we walk to set and then we we do a television show. And then we leave set and we all walk back together to the same hotel and we just go to our rooms. I mean, you know, like everybody's like, uh, so how you doing on liquor in your room? You know, like people, people going to the liquor, like <laughs> there's one person who worked with us who was like, yeah, I had to call the liquor store yesterday to make sure that they were going to be open on Sunday so that I didn't get stuck in my room all night with, without a bottle. You know, <laughs> like it's, I think this is, I think this is a lonely and B creating possible drinking problems. Uh, so it's just sort of it's 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 weird to be at the final four and be isolated because um, now it's it's a little more productive. Like I've gotten more work done uh, you know, in non-pandemic years. We'd be trying to rush through this so that we could meet four people for dinner. And then who knows what happens after that? But yeah. then whatever happens after that lasts until everything closes. And then you wake up whenever you wake up on 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 Monday morning or you know sometimes Monday afternoon. Um, this is more relaxing, uh, less taxing on the body, but it is a, it's a weird feeling like the national championship games tomorrow. And, you know, when I get done with this, you and I will go do CBS sports HQ. And then, you know, I don't know what your plans are, but I'm coming back to sit in the same room again all night long. That sounds like a plan to me. You want to preview this game? Yeah, we'll get into the actual matchup next, I think. But first, let me remind you, uh, that it is master's week, Butler cabin, green jackets, azaleas, DJ Brooks, Rory. Red hot Jordan speed as usual. I, I can't wait to see Augusta national on my screen and CBS sports obviously is your home for that. Whether you're looking to watch on the range featured groups, amen corner holes, 15 and 16, it's all available on cbsports.com, the CBS sports mobile app and paramount plus even the CBS broadcast this weekend. It'll be available online. So make sure you're streaming the best golfers in the world in the best tournament in the world. It's Masters Week in April for the first time since 2019 and the best way to follow it is via CBS Sports. All right, Gonzaga versus Baylor for the national title. All the marbles. Preseason number 1 against preseason number 2. Two number 1 seeds. One team 31 and 0, the other team 27 and 2, combined 58 and 2. Gonzaga looked vulnerable on Saturday against UCLA. Baylor looked overwhelming on Saturday against Houston. Did anything that happened Saturday make you rethink how you believe this game is going to go down? Yes. Had Baylor had more issues with Houston, I would have picked Gonzaga to win and cover. But I had to think a little bit harder about that. We'll get to our picks at the end of the podcast. There's no denying that at least going into this game, there is more doubt about how the game will play out than we otherwise would have thought because the results and the way those two games played out, they were flipped. We thought that Gonzaga was going to be able to run away from UCLA, biggest favorite in a national semifinal since 85. It's not how it went down. We thought Houston might have a chance at keeping that game low scoring and getting inside that number, if not beating, beating Baylor. Not exactly how it went down at all. So because of how good Baylor looked, and I, and I, did, I actually thought... Um, to kind of pluck a baseball term, it was almost like 
it was an eight to two game in the fifth inning, and the manager just pulled the pitcher because what's the point? You know, the perfect game's gone. You got a comfortable lead. Like there's no there's no reason in this modern era of baseball, as you can speak to, to just you know use an arm for another 20, 30, 35 pitches there. So I thought Baylor just knew that Houston was not going to be able to rally and come back from twenty five down at halftime, and it just was able to keep them keep them at arm's length the entire second half. Whereas Gonzaga, UCLA doing what it did. And Gonzaga winning on an amazing shot, but a little bit of a lucky shot. Let's be honest with that. I, I do, th- I do think that the range of outcomes for this game are a bit more varied than I would have anticipated, like four or five days ago. And by that, I mean, I'll just tell you, after watching these teams do what they did, and I don't know how much of it'll carry over to the next game, if at all. But if someone, you know, were to knock on my door and say, "Hey, I'm from two days in the future," I'd be like, "Whoa." Be like, what are you doing? What are, first off, what are you doing at my door? What are you doing here right now if you've got the ability to move through time? What is going on? But I'm going to tell you, I'm two days to the future. And I'll be like, listen, I, I'm masked up. We can just talk to the door right now. But I'm going to tell you, Gonzaga's going to lose Monday night. Okay? And when they lose, Baylor's going to win by eight points. I just believe that. I believe that is something that is now under consideration and on the table. It's not the most likely outcome, but I don't think if Baylor's going to win, the only way it's going to be able to do it is to try and run a foot race with Gonzaga and then have to get lucky down the stretch and maybe it wins by three or four points max. I think there is a potential way we could be talking about this game and we're talking about Baylor winning and salting it away with foul shots, coming close to a double-digit win. I think that's a possibility. I'm not saying it's likely. It's not my pick, but I can see it happening. I had reached the point over the past month where I was sort of like, Gonzaga is beatable, but nobody's going to beat them. And if somebody were to beat them, it would only be because they didn't show up. You know, like they played a C-level game and somebody else who is good played an A-level game. And it takes something like that for for the Zags to take a loss. Um, The one exception that I had tossed out several times on this podcast was Alabama. And the reason was because of the style of play. Because, like, if Alabama just wants to launch 35 threes and make 17 of them, then I don't care whether you're Gonzaga, Baylor, or anybody else, you got real problems. Then, of course, Alabama uh, loses uh, earlier than, than most expected. And so uh, they're out of Gonzaga's path. And I sort of reverted, you know, to my initial thought. I no longer believe that. I think Baylor is good enough to beat them straight up. Like, I don't think Baylor needs Gonzaga to – to play poorly for, for Baylor to win. Um, I, I think if Baylor plays really well, it is good enough at enough different things that it could it could just win a, a, a – we could be talking late Monday night and go, man, Baylor played really well, Gonzaga played really well, and Baylor just got him at the end. I, like that's not, that's not something I would have assumed was in the cards, um, uh, you know, a month ago. But I do think it's in the cards now, and especially after what we watched Saturday, because it was remarkable – as you pointed out, those games went the exact opposite way, not just the way we thought, but the way most people thought. You know, Baylor or Houston was supposed to be a, 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 a fist fight, and I thought Baylor would win, but I thought it would be close. I think my quote was, we'll be at the under four, and the game will be undetermined. The game was determined by halftime, all right? And then, and then I was exactly the opposite. Most people were on Gonzaga-UCLA. Like I asked you, what do you think is more likely? Gonzaga wins by 25 or UCLA wins by one? And you said Gonzaga wins by 25, and I said, yeah, that's right. And then Gonzaga needed overtime to get past UCLA, 
a banked-in 35 to 40 footer um, is the way that they escaped um, that 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 uneasy situation. So I, I you know, and I don't think any of us looked at Gonzaga last night and said they played poorly. I don't, you know, they they certainly had some lapses on defense, but like Drew Timmy showed up, Jalen Suggs played, Kispert wasn't great, but like that was not a C level performance from Gonzaga uh, on Saturday night against UCLA. It, it certainly wasn't an A. But I don't think it was like, oh, my God, the Zags played terrible, and that's how UCLA was in the game with a chance to beat them. Like, the Zags played okay, and, and UCLA an 11 seed. Yes, with the greatest coach in UCLA history on the sideline, but still, an 11 seed had an opportunity to knock them off. I guess I'd bottom line it that way. If Gonzaga can play pretty good and still be vulnerable to an 11 seed, then they can play pretty good and lose to a Baylor team that looked awesome on Saturday. And the recipe to do it, at least on the offensive end, like think about how Baylor pulled away from Houston in that first half. I mean, it's a lot of different things. You know, it was it was they, they they didn't let Houston score. That's a great place to start. Quentin Grimes had zero. That's a great place to start. They took 15 threes. Baylor took 15 threes in in the first half, and they only finished with 24. But again, the the game was decided. But I think I would maybe start there. Baylor is the best three point shooting team in the country. Top five scores all shooting at least 39% from three-point range. I might want to shoot more than I normally do because you're going to have to score to beat Gonzaga, and the best way to get into the 80s, maybe even the 90s, is probably, you know, hey, we're we're shooting 42% from three-point range. Instead of taking 24, let's take 30. Let's take 30 and see what happens. I, I would... You know, at this point, I'm not going to uh, game plan for Scott Drew. I think he and his staff got this stuff figured out. But I would, I would be more interested in Baylor upsetting the Zags if they, if they were committed to. We know we've got to score a lot of points here. Let's try to get a lot of them from the three point line. Here's a here's a few things to keep an eye on, keep in, in the front of your mind as you watch this game play out as we as we gear up toward Monday night. Um, Gonzaga's the number one rated offensive team in college basketball, according to Ken Palm, at 127.2 offensive rating. That means for every 100 possessions, uh, its adjusted efficiency would be 127 points. That's that's awesome. It's also the highest scoring team in college basketball, just points per game at, uh, at a tick over 90, 91 that is. Baylor is the number two team in offensive efficiency. So, you know, one, two right there. But the way they do it is different. Uh, Baylor is the number one three-point shooting team, now at 41.2% from three-point range. Gonzaga, of course, number one two-point shooting team and the best in the history of college basketball, 63.9%. I don't think it's even going to be capable, even if it has an off night. I think it's going to hold that record no matter what happens here, win or lose. If you're wondering how those two teams rank in the other shot, if you will, like Gonzaga's the best two-point shooting team, how does it do from three? It's good. It's not great. 37% ranks 42nd in the country. And Baylor, how does it do from two-point range? It's good. Not great. 53.5%, that's 44th in the country. So the two-point battle versus three-point battle will be interesting, particularly because, as we mentioned before when we talked Baylor-Houston, Baylor is still an elite top five, top six offensive rebounding team in college basketball. So even if it doesn't shoot well uh, inside the three-point line or outside of it, uh, will it be able to get a lot of second-chance opportunities? We'll see. Gonzaga is a fairly good defensive rebounding team. It ranks top 20 in college basketball. I do think we've got a good shot at a pretty close game because history suggests that we will. 
This is the ninth time that one seeds are meeting in a title game. They've only been seeding since 79. So if you really went back, you know, to the, to the 60s and 50s, there have been other instances where clearly two teams on a one seed level have met in a title game. We just didn't have seeds then, GP. But since seeding began in 79, we've had nine meetings. Uh, this is the ninth one. The previous eight, all eight of them were decided by single digits, and the average margin in those games was 5.3 points. That's, I mean, you got to be feeling good about that. You, are you with me that we do think that this game, the most likely outcome, is six points one way or the other? I, I would I would put that number on it kind of arbitrarily, but I think two possessions max is how this game will get decided. Would you agree? Not not a hundred percent. I mean, I don't ever forget this is a, a Gonzaga team that is now thirty one and zero, still has twenty nine double digit wins. Mm-hmm. We have watched them run really good teams off the court. Most recently, you know USC. USC is a top ten Ken Palm team that had a top ten defense, and they just beat the brakes off of the Trojans. Won the game by nineteen points. So I don't want to get caught up in recency bias. You know, it was just three days ago where I was. I was like, I don't know if Gonzaga is going to get. Uh, pushed at all in this tournament. And that was including the possibility that they would play Baylor in the national title game. And so I know what we just saw was the Zag struggle with 11-seeded UCLA. But if you can go back one more game, what we saw is them completely overwhelm a USC team that is currently 6th at Ken Palm, 14th in adjusted offensive efficiency, and 5th in adjusted defensive efficiency. If you can beat that team by 19, then you can run away from Baylor as well. I guess I would say this. I do not think the Zags will run away from Baylor and that we'll be watching the final 10 minutes of a blowout. I don't believe that's how this is going to go. But do I think it's possible? Yeah, I definitely think it's possible. The only thing I don't think is possible is Baylor just running away from Gonzaga because Gonzaga scores too much. All right, so you're basically saying, you know, 1% or less chance that Baylor wins by 12 or more, basically. I would I'd put be that- surprised. I mean, yeah. we just see nothing to make us think that's going to happen okay. all season with Gonzaga. Like, they just... I think you can slow them down, and I think you can score on them, but I don't think you can stop them from scoring. Like, I, you know, it, to beat them by double digits, you... I mean, you well, you probably got to get to ninety to do something like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't. I mean, maybe that's excessive. I just they're going to score with you. They're not unbeatable, but I I don't think you can run away from them because they just they they get too many easy buckets. And and I think even though Baylor is terrific, you know, the, the, the Gonzaga is still going to score on Baylor. You you have to score with them, and I think they can score with them. But you, I don't know that you can run away from them because they're not going to stop scoring. Yeah, we're just lucky to get this game. I mean, it's it's hard to argue that you can have much more on the line in a championship game. First of all, we've never gone two years between a title game in college basketball like this. So you've got that as backdrop. It's the fifth time in history the top two teams in the preseason poll are going to meet in the championship game. And it's the first time in two decades that's happened. As mentioned on our overnight pod, it's also the first time since 05 that we've actually had the two teams that the committee, when it built the bracket, said, here are the two, here are the two teams that are the best and have the best resume that we think if the, if the tournament plays out, they should meet for the title. This bracket doesn't allow for these things that often. We're going to get that on Monday, first time in 16 years. And then how about this? Gonzaga and Baylor have a combined two losses 
That's the fewest ever tied with the 57 title game and the 66 title game for the fewest losses entering into the championship game. And if you want to look at just achievement within the context of a season parish, their combined record and win, winning percentage, which is 9.967, it's the highest combined winning percentage in a national championship game in men's college basketball history. Like, we have, there's been a lot of talk about like, oh, Gonzaga Baylor, they're finally going to do it. They were going to play in December. Yeah, but like, this game is the game that we deserve. And I, it really does feel extremely significant for how rare it actually is when you look at the accomplishments of these teams and then take into account the rigors of the pandemic and how tough it was on every single team that tried to go through all this. The fact that Gonzaga and Baylor have continue to win despite that. We saw a little bit of this with other sports in the pandemic as well. I don't know if there's any sort of correlation with that, but I, I, to me, it just stands out. That, that I've got a column up uh, that's going up Sunday night and it'll be on the site all day Monday. You can read I, I mentioned a few of these items in there. It's just, it's, it's magnificent to me that it is these two and how rare it is to get these teams at this level, what they considering what they've statistically achieved. And then, you know, from a talent perspective, this is a high-end national title game. You know, right now, Jalen Suggs is a projected top-five pick. Um, Corey Kispert is a projected lottery pick. Davion Mitchell is a projected lottery pick. Jared Butler is a projected first-round pick. Um, Joe Laia could get picked if he enters the draft. Um, uh, Matthew Meyer could get picked if he enters the draft. You know, as I've been spending the past few days, alone in a hotel room, you know, sort of going through the top 25 and one, trying to figure out, okay, what is their roster going to look like? Who's probably going, who's probably staying. There is a chance if a handful of these on the fence guys for Gonzaga and Baylor come back, we could be looking at this something, you know, like this, this could be, they could be preseason number one and number two. I don't know that they are. I haven't, I haven't started ranking teams yet as much as I've started gathering teams. Um, but if you get Drew Timmy back, uh, he's an on-the-fence draft guy. Get a, a IA back. He's an on-the-fence draft guy. You know, th- then there's no scenario where the Zags aren't awesome again. Mm-hmm. And then at Baylor, you know, if you can – I mean, clearly you're not getting Davion Mitchell back. You're not getting Jared Butler back. But, like, can you get Matthew Meyer back? And then with the rest of these guys and recruiting – like, they, both these teams were w- one seeds last season, one seeds this season, and they're going to be really good again next season. So if you are somebody who likes – um, college basketball because of the glimpse it gives you into future NBA players, well, then this title game is is just about as good as we could do as well. Here's what speaks to Gonzaga's greatness overall, and I'll mention this anecdote, then I want to ask you a question that my column basically touches on. So Joel Ayayi has 22 points against UCLA. Uh, in the entire context of the game, Suggs is the star, but Ayayi was probably the most consistent player. Like, Suggs had his moments, don't get me wrong. He finished with 16 points uh, and was, what, 6 of 12 from the field. He was he was really good, 5.6 dimes. Uh, it, was between, it was basically between Ayayi and Suggs. That was a career high for Ayayi, who, by the way, has a triple-double to his name earlier this season. It's the only one in Gonzaga's history, and he's their fourth-best player. I do think he's an NBA player, and I think Andrew Nemhart is going to eventually be an NBA player. I think we will look up in five years and see that the starting five for Gonzaga this season are all in the league. I think they're all headed there, and it speaks to how good they are, which makes me want to ask you this. Well, let me stop here for a second. Okay. You bring back Nimhard, yes. Ayayi, and Timmy 
add Chet Holgren? I mean, that's the preseason number one team, isn't it? Probably is, yes. Probably is. That's Timmy's the big one because he is a star in college, but not somebody who is like a guaranteed first-round pick. Drew Timmy is going to be this offseason's Io DeSumo. You know, that type of guy. Like, you could you could go if you want, but, boy, if you come back, you're the face of everything. Like, Drew Timmy comes back, he's the preseason national player of the year. Corey Kispert was kind of that, too. Now, he yeah. wasn't the face of everything because Luka was bigger, but Kispert right. would have been drafted a year ago. He came back, All-American. Oh, by the way, he's the WCC player of the year. It's a joke. In fact, how about this with Timmy? He's the third player in the past 25 years to go four straight tournament games with 20 or more points and shooting 50% or better from the field. The only, so other, awesome. the, the only other two guys to do this, did you see this? This was in the CBS Sports uh, research package. The only I other, have not, I didn't, I didn't, I don't know what you're, I don't know the answer to the how question. How about this though? He's done this. The only other two guys to do this in the past 25 years are number one overall picks. Zion Williamson in 2019 and Blake Griffin in, in 2009. Four straight tournament games, 20 or more points on 50% shooting or better. I don't know if he'll go or he'll stay, but to your point, if he does return, Gonzaga's going to have to be there. Question I want to ask you is kind of the central point of my column and more of a, a, a philosophical or your viewpoint of, of all this. Right now, Gonzaga is clearly the number one team in college basketball, and there's nothing Baylor can do on Monday night to, to jump them in Ken Palm's rankings. They are so far ahead in adjusted efficiency margin that if, even if Baylor won 85 to 50, Gonzaga would actually still finish the season as the number one team. And this has happened in years past. It occasionally does happen where the number one team or the number two team doesn't win the national championship. The difference in adjusted efficiency margin as we talk right now is 5.75 points. Now, that's not the only thing we should take into consideration when I'm going to ask you what I'm about to ask you. But the question and, and really the thesis of the column is, all right, if Gonzaga wins on Monday, it is quite obviously sports immortality. Undefeated season hasn't happened since 76. Like That is a top three headline in sports this year, I believe, because of the significance and how rare it is to get an undefeated champion. We just don't get it other than college football, which... And, it, and it'll be a forever thing. Like, yes. think about Think about how many times this season whether it's on HQ, this podcast, or when writing, when you've typed since 1976, Indiana. Like, that, yeah. that, that, every time going forward, like, I don't know anything about 1976, Indiana. I wasn't alive, but I, I just, I've said it a million times. 1976, Indiana. You know, since 76, Indiana. Well, you know, it hadn't been done since 76. That was Indiana. They will now be that standard. People will never reference 1970. It's over for 1976 Indiana. Well, it's, it's, it's not over. They're it's just over. not the most it's recent one. Oh, it's over for them. Okay. It's over for them. It's over for them. If the Zags win tomorrow, we'll never talk about them again, ever. Because you know what we'll be saying? It, it, it'll be six years from now, and uh, you know Chris Beard will have Texas undefeated. <laughs> and we'll be going, uh, you know, the Longhorns had the chance to be the first undefeated national champion uh, since uh, Gonzaga in, in 2021. It's over for 76 Indiana. Okay. It's over. over. It's over. Okay, so uh, two two things here. One, if Gonzaga does do this, considering everything it went through and statistically what we're seeing it's doing, and again, to me, I think we're going to look up and see five pros. Maybe it'll be four NBA players, but we're going to look like this team to me is going to register among the very best teams in the history of college basketball. I don't know where we're going to slot it. I'm not saying it's the very best, but yeah, there's only been eight teams ever that have finished the season undefeated, and I would put this Gonzaga team in the top five. But the more the question I'm more interested to, set, to ask you is if Gonzaga loses to Baylor, 
Okay, think about what we talked about three, four, five minutes ago, how this sets up as a historic matchup considering the accomplishments of Baylor combined with Gonzaga. This is a worthy adversary, a team capable of beating Gonzaga. They've been awesome two years running. Like, I understand that championship games are, by their very nature and definition in existence, they are the things that declare champions. They're arbiters of a given season. But if Gonzaga loses its final game to Baylor, I'm still going to consider this one of the best college basketball teams of the past three decades. Right there with 91 Vegas, with 99 Duke, with 2015 Kentucky. I Basically, a win puts Gonzaga, it cements their... You know, their deathless legacy, basically, because, again, according to you, 1976, it's done. It's over for them. But I don't think a loss really brings Gonzaga down that much in the overall landscape panorama of great teams in college basketball. Where would you agree or disagree with that statement? I would agree with it as long as you restrict the conversation to basketball nerds who study numbers and understand Kim Palm and Torvik and everything else. Those people will sit around and go, man, that Gonzaga team in 2021, one of the best teams of all time. And then they'll have the numbers to back it up. And then everybody else will be like, yeah, they didn't they lose in the championship game. It just won't. It, it, you, you cannot overstate how big of a game this is for Gonzaga. Big for Baylor too. But, like, Gonzaga's got a chance to, to – to, you will either be an undefeated national champion, a rare undefeated national champion in college basketball, or you won't. You'll just be a team that lost. You'll be 2015 Kentucky. How often do people talk about 2015 Kentucky? You and I do it. I think a what lot, actually. That team had, like, six NBA players on it. And you're better than Kentucky because they lost in the Final Four. Indiana State, undefeated in 79, gets referenced plenty. It ain't over for them. I, I, I don't think that this Gonzaga team is going to turn into some sort of, uh, oh, yeah, by the way, I think the fact that they've gone 31-0 and murdered every team except UCLA, they will still be regarded even among non-basketball nerds. I understand for a casual audience what, where you're going with this, but – they're the first team since 79, so the first team in the modern era expanded tournament to make a title game. I, th- I think they'll probably be held in a little bit higher regard because of their opponent as well, but I think your bigger point, I understand, and to a certain extent, I agree with. Here's the problem with, with Gonzaga that, that, that Kentucky doesn't face. Like, nobody looks at 2015 K- Kentucky and go, yeah, but they played nobody to get there, you know? Or, yeah, you know, they, oh, that's West Coast Conference, Kentucky. Kentucky doesn't have to fight those stereotypes and those skeptics. And listen, I know it's dumb. You and I agree it's dumb to, to at this point, dismiss or discount Gonzaga because of its league affiliation. But we also know people do it, still do it. Even when they're sitting here undefeated right now, there are some people saying, well, you, you, you know, what have they really done? Who have they really beaten? And you could lay it out for them, and they'll go, well, yeah, but Kansas wasn't that good this year, but Virginia wasn't that good this year. Iowa couldn't guard anybody. Uh, you know, what's USC, you know, like when did they, did they even play basketball? Uh, yeah. Creighton didn't know didn't the coach almost get fired. Like people will just dismiss this. You lose to Baylor and people will say, I told you they couldn't do it. And it won't matter that it's not true. Even if they lose to Baylor, they can clearly do it. They're favored in the national title game. I mean, how about this? You go back to John Calipari before he won a national title. You know what people said about him? He can't win a national title. Oh, he can't win the big one. Never mind that he was a missed Mario Chalmers three-pointer from winning it in 2008. 
people people grab onto these things and they will not let go of them until they have no choice. And so, I, you know, when I talked to Mark a few weeks ago, uh, uh, he was really like he hated, actually despised the idea that this was win the whole thing or bust for Gonzaga. And, you know, the sort of thing I said was like, listen, I get it because that's not it's not the way he views life. It's not his approach to life. Um, but his approach to life runs counter than the way most people who follow the sport at all, um, you know, view life and approach it. Like the, the, Gonzaga has to win to be the, 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 it's very drastic between how this team will be remembered the, 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 based on the outcome of this game. It will either be an all-time great undefeated national champion or – yeah, that West Coast Conference program that still couldn't get it done at the end. That's that's, re- that's just stupid. Like that's it, I not told what it you, should be. I acknowledged up now. front it's stupid. Yeah. I'm just telling you, turn on the TV Tuesday morning if Gonzaga loses and watch people talk about this. That's what you're gonna hear. I I would I I really hope you're wrong. But sometimes the discourse in this industry we have is just stupid. But yeah, my point in to a certain extent in the column is, no matter what happens. Gonzaga is going to be remembered because they are going to be the first team since 1976, Indiana, or they're going to be the team that made it to the title game and then lost it. Like there will be a certain infamy attached to that. I acknowledge that, but either way, because they've been the first to do this in more than 40 years, I don't think that we will forget them. I just, I would hope that we don't discount what they've done. Cause again, opponent considered, I think is important here. Baylor's the second best team and i think it's good not to lose sight of that yeah no listen you and i are on the same page i'm just i'm speaking for everybody else i'm just telling you how this thing will actually go down and and when it when it gets into my twitter mentions if i reply to it at all i'll call it stupid i'll say listen gonzaga was awesome all year probably still is the best team in america like baylor could beat gonzaga tomorrow understand this and then let's say they rescheduled it and decided hey you know what we ain't got nothing to do on tuesday let's play it again the Zags would be favored again, yeah. even if they lost on Monday night. They are a great team, a historically great team. They check every box, elite offensively, elite defensively. They got NBA players. Everything you need to be a national champion, they got it. But I promise you, if they are not a national champion, because you know what else people say? Oh, yeah, they rolled through the West Coast Conference like they always do. Who cares? And then, yeah, they played Oklahoma in the tournament. They're missing its you know, second-leading score. They played a Creighton team whose coach almost got fired, talking about plantations. Uh, they beat USC. That was nice. I didn't even know USC played basketball. Um, I guess they had that one good kid, Evan Mobley. And then, and then, hey, before they lost to Baylor, they almost lost to an 11 seed. So really, how great were they? Like, that's what's coming if they don't win this game. That's stupid. They're 14-1 and one in their past 15 games against power conference opponents with only three of those games on their home floor. So You're, 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 you're acting like you're arguing with me. I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm, no, I'm, I'm just I'm – just, I'm just, I have been – I have been the biggest Gonzaga cheerleader for I – was, I was on this thing way earlier than most people. When we, I actually wrote a column before they played in the title game that was like – I think the headline of the column was everything you everything you say about Gonzaga is wrong. And I just dispelled all of these incorrect things that were attached to them. But it didn't mean they weren't attached to them. I just said, okay, here's what you say. Let me tell you why you're stupid. Here's what you say. Let me tell you why you're stupid. And so if this conversation starts after the Zags lose a title game, um, I will I will spend some time to explaining to people why it's stupid. I'm just telling you I'll have to do that because it will exist. All right, you want to make you want to make these picks here? I do want to make these picks here. 
for all the marbles. We'll do it momentarily. First, though, check this out. Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way at newbalance.com. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. All right, Deadleg. Gonzaga open minus five. It's now down to minus four and a half. The total is 159.5. Where are you at? If the total hits, here's another thing to look for with this. Highest scoring games since 1990 in the championship. UNLV Duke went to 182. UNL Duke, Arizona was 164. UCLA, Arkansas, and Duke, Michigan. That's 95 and 92. 160 as their totals. Um, total seems high, but I'm actually going to go over. My pick, we can't, if we get anything close to UCLA, Gonzaga, I don't care that Baylor, Houston was over at halftime. If we get, some, if, if we get something that is 85% of what UCLA, Gonzaga was, then this final four, two out of three, goes down among, what, top three or five ever, okay? I think it will be a competitive game. I think there will be swings. I think that unlike UCLA-Gonzaga, which saw no run more than 6-0 at any point in the game, I do think you'll have Gonzaga pull off, you know, uh, a 9-0 run or an 11-2 run, and then Baylor might uh, counterpunch, and they'll be able to pull off a 7-0 run or a 10-2 run. I do think we'll get a couple of those. Davion Mitchell versus Jalen Suggs is phenomenal. Can't wait for that. Cannot wait for Davion Mitchell versus Jalen Suggs. Davion Mitchell better go in the top 10 of this year's draft. There's no excuse. He's their best three-point shooter and their best defender. Come on now. Let's go. So I'm ready for that. Mark Vidal trying to guard Drew Timmy. Vidal's an, a great defender as well. How they Baylor's defensive approach to this game is the total selling point for me. I'm going to take Gonzaga to win. You and I both had Gonzaga back in the preseason when we made when we made our picks for national champion. We both took Gonzaga, but I will have Baylor get inside the number. So give me, give me Gonzaga eighty four, Baylor eighty one, and we don't have a game winning shot situation. It's just close late, and you know either Gonzaga hits a, a bucket it needs with like thirty five ticks to go, or Baylor misses a shot that it could have used with like twenty five seconds to go. Like it'll be good, it'll be really good. It's just not going to be great. Uh, and and Gonzaga hangs on, but Baylor's inside the number, and uh, and we walk out of there just thrilled with having those teams played in that spot and finishing up this season uh, with the best two teams possible. Sportsline has a projected final score of eighty five eighty one Gonzaga. Is it really. Ken Palm has a projected final score of 85-81 Gonzaga. You are, okay. I didn't know that. I swear I didn't know that when I said my score. So. 
Did you say 8581? No, I said 8481, but I didn't realize I was that close. Okay, yeah. Yeah, no. So Sportsline and Kimpom line up exactly the same. I'm going to go a little below that. I'm going to go 8180 Gonzaga. Corey Kispert, game-winning jumper. Drew Timmy, most outstanding player of the Final Four. Well, right now, going into this game, if Baylor wins, it's between Mitchell and Butler. They both had good games. They're kind of even right now, right? It'll be one of those two, probably. Going into it, if Gonzaga wins, Ayayi and Suggs were really neck and neck for who was the best player in the semifinal. And then it's Timmy... And then uh, there's a little bit of actually a drop-off between Kispert and Nemar. So you're saying t- Timmy's going to have to be good enough against Vital to overcome because it's Final Four mop. You consider the semis as well. I'll make my prediction since I'm saying Gonzaga wins. Suggs hits the... He hit the winner. He'll be just good enough in this game. I actually kind of... I sneakily think this is Corey Kispert's moment. I'm almost feeling like 25 points out of Kispert in this spot. I don't know if that would flip the voting to give him the MOP, but Suggs is just good enough here that Suggs is your MOP. And what I don't have in front of me is Mello got it. I'm just wondering how many freshmen ever have won MOP uh, at the final four. Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis. Uh, probably we, probably one of the Duke freshmen. Jalu Okafor, maybe. I don't remember. Uh, was it was it, was it Ja? Was it Tyus? It was Tyus, right? It was Tyus. I, I just said I don't remember. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. All right. So you've got Timmy and Gonzaga winning. I've got Suggs as the mop with Gonzaga winning. 2015, Tyus Jones. Boom. Most outstanding player of the Final Four. Somebody give Dead Leg an extra trivia time point there. As if he needs it. I don't need it. Let's see how many you can remember. You have the list? Of course I've got the list. 2019, who was the most outstanding player? Uh, 2019 was Ty Jerome. Uh, incorrect. That's exactly why Tony Bennett assaulted you at the final four. It's not because that was at the Elite Eight. Uh, oh, yeah. So how about, how about past two NCAA tournaments? You've been threatened with a mute button by Mark Few yeah. and, and physically assaulted by Tony Bennett. I'm on a roll here. Um 2018 so, uh, most outstanding so it, was Kyle, it was Kyle Guy was the 2019 It was moment. Kyle Guy, yes. Okay. 2018. 2018 Nova. That has got to be... I'm trying to think which of their guys would have won it in 2018. I never know this because I'm always... I like, I'm on the court interviewing for HQ. I'm not voting. I, don't, I never know who gets this. This player balled out in an... Un, in oh, yeah. DiVincenzo. Dante DiVincenzo. Wait, he was, was he a freshman? No, he was a redshirt freshman, right? Yeah, I'm going to have to pass on that one. Yeah, I think he was a redshirt freshman in that spot. 2017 most outstanding player. I predict you will not get this one. Give me Kennedy Meeks. Incorrect answer. Take another guess. I think you'll be wrong again. Really? It's that? It's. Uh, I just barely remember this player. I mean, I remember him, obviously. but Theo Pinson? Nope. Try again. Marcus Page. Was he even on that team? <laughs> was he even on the 2017 team? He might have been. It's not him? No. It's, oh, man, I can't. Joel Barry. Wow. <laughs> That's a name. Like wow. it's, it's, it's wild how sometimes people just disappear. Like, I haven't thought about Joel Barry perhaps since that night. <sighs> Apologies to Joel. Uh, yeah, my apologies, too. You're a most outstanding player. In the- <laughs> Do you know the story about... Uh oh, who was it? 
uh, Khaled El Amin. He was working in studio with us the entire season. What year did UConn win the title with Khaled El Amin? 99. Okay. The entire season. Like Brent Stover, Adam Zucker. He's like, welcome to Inside College Basketball. That's uh, former NBA All-Star Wally Zerbiak. It's our insider Gary Parrish and the most outstanding player of the 1999 Final Four, Khaled El Amin. And Khaled nope. would like, do like a little fist, like, what's up, what's up? Nope. Did that all season. One day we're looking it up. I'm just, I'm like probably just looking at this list, the exact list I've got called up right now. And I'm like, dude, Rip Hamilton Rip. was the most outstanding player of the 1999 Final War. Khaled was like the face of that team, but Rip Hamilton. Went. And funny. so we were laughing. And, and, and I'm like, dude, why didn't you say something? He's like, I just, well, I'm just going to roll with it. He liked it being part of his title all of a sudden. That's amazing. <laughs> the entire year. It was in the, in the in the most outstanding player, the nineteen ninety nine final four, Khaled Elamain's like, nope, just one hundred percent not true. Eighty one eighty. Gonzaga, Corey Kisper game winning jumper. Drew Timmy, most outstanding player, joining the long list of Joel Berry and Khaled Elamain. Any more freshmen on that list, by the way? Oh, let me see here. Dead leg. Um, okay, we had Cal Guy, Dante DiVincenzo, Joel Berry, Ryan Archidiacono, Tyus Jones in 2015, Shabazz Napier, Luke Hancock, Anthony Davis. There's a freshman. And then I'm just going back, back, back. I do not see Carmelo. Mello, we yeah. went Carmelo in 2003 to Anthony Davis in 2012. Everything in between there, non-freshmen. And if you start going backwards, um, I don't see any other freshmen. That might be it. There we go. We got to go do an HQ hit. Hey, I figured out what all the marbles means. Okay. It literally just like is a, in reference to you, if you're playing marbles, you get all the marbles. All the marbles is directly tied to marbles. There's, there's no, there's no, if you're looking for something more than what it appears to be on a surface level, it's, it's just, it's literally about getting all of the marbles. I got no interest in the marbles. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M.F. and Teagle. Legend. Shouts to Larnell. Thank you, guys. Once again, listen to the Iowa College Basketball Podcast. Middle of the dumbest pandemic of my lifetime. They really did shut down St. Elmo. Like, you can't go there right now. I know. They shut it down. COVID outbreak. What in the world? When you go to Indianapolis for the Final Four, one of the things you do, like on the checklist, is well, hey, we're gonna go, we're gonna hit up St. Elmo, right? Hey, make a reservation early. Imagine now you get the Final Four, you can't even go there. What if Jared Butler's parents wanted to go there? Can't do it. This is stupid. I've never seen one like this. If you, if you, if you haven't subscribed to the Island College Basketball Podcast, please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, and we will talk to you again late Monday after we crown a national champion, but not with an actual crown, and nobody's getting involved. Explore the weaponization of rap lyrics in the criminal justice system in the new documentary, As We Speak, Rap Music on Trial. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply.